Hi everyone, it's Toby here. Um, so good to watch that video and see some of the highlights. I can't believe it's been a year. We watched the first lockdown service we did this week, which was a year ago, and uh, well, We've come a long way, basically, in what we were able to do. Um, but it's also amazing to see the volunteering that's happened, the donations to the food bank, uh, all that stuff is fantastic. And that's all thanks to you. Um, as Josh was saying earlier, three things we, we love you to get involved in, praying, serving, and the last one is giving. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about giving uh, today. Today is uh, the first of our gift days. We have two gift days a year where we look to raise the money that we need for the rest of the year to do the things that we feel God is calling us to do. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about that. I think there are some, some myths sometimes about giving, and, and at St. Nicholas uh, specifically, the first myth is that St. Nick's is a rich church, that we have loads of money in the bank or investments or endowments or something like that. I wish that was the case, but we don't actually. Um, we don't have any, we have enough to keep us going in terms of cash flow, but other than that, we don't have any reserves. And for good reason, because I think it's a spiritual principle, like a biblical principle, that reserves of the church should be in the pockets of the congregation. So you and me, we are the reserves. So that's the first thing. Second myth is that um, St. Nick's is financed by the Church of England or the Diocese of Bristol or HDB, the, the church that we were planted from. Um, it is true to say that we received this building as a generous donation from uh, the Diocese of Bristol. We received some startup funding uh, from the Church of England and HDB to get us going. Uh, but that money uh, very quickly runs out. It's been tapering off gradually, and the, the longer we go, the more we have to support ourselves. And that's right. That's the way that it should go. And this year particularly, we're going to see a large drop-off in that. And therefore, if we want to support ourselves, then it's up to all of us in the church to do that. The third myth, and this is the most common one, is that the, the sums that we're talking about are so large that my little gift won't make any difference, so there's no point. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, there's a parable that Jesus talked about. It's not even a parable. He was watching someone, an old lady, giving some money in the temple, and it was a tiny amount. And she said, this woman was honoured before God, not because of the amount but because of the proportion. It was like a sacrificial gift, but mainly because of her heart. And what he talks about is where your money is, your heart is. What matters is God cares most about your heart. So it doesn't really matter about the money. But just to let you know, we have 179 people. This is amazing. 179 people currently give regularly. That's the best way to give because it helps us to plan for the future. And the average uh, standing order is £133 a month. Now, obviously, some people give a lot more than that and some people give a lot less than that. Some people give a, a few pounds a month. Uh, I don't mind. I don't care. What's amazing is the heart behind it is to give. And I think there's something hugely powerful about taking a step of faith in our finances. I'm also hugely grateful to Jonathan Bradshaw, who's our volunteer treasurer, to Amy uh, in the office, who does all the accounts. We publish the accounts. Last year's accounts are available if you'd like to see them for 2020. Uh, but I always think that if we need to raise a big sum, that's a challenge to our faith. But it's also really exciting because we get to see what God does. And I firmly believe that passage in Scripture, Philippians, where God says, um, I, I, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. 
In other words, if we need it, God will give it. And if we don't need it, he won't. So that's great. We can just relax and trust God. Now this year, particularly, the trustees of St. Nick's have given us two fundraising challenges for 2021. The first is a monthly challenge, and that is to raise our monthly giving by £5,000 a month. So to increase it from what it is, up by £5,000 a month. And just to give you a flavour of what that would take, that would uh, mean uh, uh, 50 uh, people taking out a standing order, a new standing order for £100 a month each. That would do it in one go. Or, for example, if every single person who was giving currently were to raise their giving, current giving by 30%, we'd get there in one go. Now, obviously, it's going to be a mixture of all those things. But what I would love to encourage you to do is to pray and to ask the Lord today, what could I give? What would you like me to give? And allow him to speak to you. That Jill and I do that every single gift day. We've done that from the beginning. We did that in our old church. Uh, we always pray together. We ask the Lord, what would you like us to give? And what we try to do every time is to stretch our giving a little bit more every time. Because we find that we, our faith grows as our giving grows as well. So that's what we want to raise monthly. But we also would love to raise, on top of that, a one-off gift this year to help us with one really important thing. And that is our children's kids' work and our youth work and the courses that we run. And I'll tell you why. Because we have a huge number of kids. We've got 87 children at the moment on the books, but we know that there's plenty more who have joined that we don't know about. Uh, now, that has been growing during lockdown. You might expect it to go down, but actually the number of people, children has been growing. And that's partly through natural um, natural means. Uh, we've had 14 babies born during lockdown. We've got another four due in the next couple of months. Uh, so that's 18 already. Um, but uh, that's really exciting. But we haven't got space to run the kids' work we want to do. We're so excited about restarting kids' work in June, but at the moment the space is not there. We have used the hotel around the corner. We've used uh, All Saints, uh, the church down the corner. But neither of those is really um, the, the perfect option. But we're excited because we think we have found the perfect option, which is uh, literally just around the corner, an office space that we can turn into the most amazing place. Not only to run kids' work on Sunday, but also to run our courses. You know that we're starting running CAP, the debt advice course. We're running the rework course. Uh, we're running Alpha. We're running the marriage course. We're running Taste Life uh, for those uh, affected by eating disorders. So many different things. We are desperate for space. And so in order to do that this year, we need to raise 34 pounds as a one-off. Now, some of you uh, might prefer to give a one-off gift rather than a regular one, uh, or vice versa. It's totally up to you. In fact, it's totally up to God. So as I said, I would ask God to speak to you today and say, Lord, what would you like me to give? And then we'll see what God can do. I'm now going to hand over uh, back to Hattie, who is going to do our reading today. Um, and uh, what I'd love to encourage you to do, uh, just as Hattie is about to do our reading, is to pray. And then at the end of the service, we're going to have a chance to respond to what we feel like God is calling us to do. But Hattie, over to you for the reading. Amazing. Yeah, today is reading is from Luke 19, 28 to 40. So Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethsage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. 
And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So we are going to hear from Toby now. He's going to bring the word. So Jesus, I just bless Toby and I pray that you fill him with your spirit now. And uh, may you speak to us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, um, Hattie. Great to have that reading. Today is Palm Sunday. You may know that already. We're talking about not this kind of palm, but palm trees, palm branches that we heard about in that passage. And um, I want to give you a little background to this, and I'll tell you what I'm going to speak about today. The passage that we just heard read is the triumphal entry. This is recorded in all four Gospels, and it's when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's just told his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to die and then to rise again. And obviously, his disciples haven't got a clue what he's talking about. And yet, as he comes into Jerusalem, riding on this donkey, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy that most of the Jews would have known about from Zechariah. In Zechariah, it says that the Messiah will come, a king will come, riding, it says specifically, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a baby donkey. And so everyone was aware that this was an amazing claim to be the Messiah. And his followers, who followed him all the way from Galilee, have seen the miracles, they kind of get it. They think he must be a king, and and therefore they start to celebrate the coming of the king. And today what I, talk, what I want to talk to you about is celebration. That's what we're looking at here. Must resist cynicism. Cynicism. What is it? Well, it's defined in this way. A fundamental distrust in people. A belief that all people are motivated purely by self-interest. Now, it's important to distinguish cynicism from skepticism. Skepticism, a healthy skepticism, is a questioning. It's analytical. It won't take things as they're presented on face value. You want to go dig dig, dig deeper. You want to find out more about the evidence. And actually, there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a really good trait to have. You shouldn't just accept something because it's told you. You should examine the evidence. That's actually what Alpha is all about. It's about being sceptical, about bringing your questions. It's about asking questions and debating. But there is an unhealthy scepticism, which I would say is cynicism. And this is the tendency to believe the worst rather than the best about people. It's to tar everyone with the same brush. 
It's to develop a mindset in which you're programmed to look for the bad rather than to believe the good. As Oscar Wilde said, a cynic knows the cost of everything but the value of nothing. But let's be honest, it's very easy to fall into cynicism today. It's very easy to be cynical of government, politicians, politics, institutions, the church. It's very easy to be cynical potentially of the police. You could think that all police are authoritarian, unmoved by the plight of those in the margins. It would be very easy to think that. People are saying that at the moment in Bristol. It would be easy to be cynical, on the other hand, of demonstrators. To say they're purely up for a fight. They're just up for disruption and disorder. It'd be easy to be cynical, actually, of relationships. To doubt the motives of other people. And it's easy to get cynical about the church and God. Unanswered prayers, suffering, makes us sometimes not just sceptical, but cynical. Cynicism comes, I think, from three different things. Three origins. The first is the culture that we live in. We live in a cynical culture. The 24-hour news cycle, which fills our brains with the worst things happening in the world, often dampens down any enthusiasm or hope we might have. Secondly, I think it comes from laziness. It's just very easy to be cynical, to write everyone off, to have the same approach to every single person and every single occurrence, to think that people will do the same thing that they've always done. But let's be honest, a lot of it comes from very good causes. Pain, frustration, injustice, long-term inequality, broken trust in institutions, disappointment and disillusionment. All of those things are deeply painful and can easily lead us into cynicism. But the problem is that cynicism never ends well. Cynicism is the erosion of trust. And trust is the bedrock of relationships. And without relationships, there is no family, there is no friendships, there are no businesses, there is no government, there is no country. Friendships, relationships are core to our functioning as a human race. And destructive behavior can be the result, mental illness, and in the church, a lack of expectation that God will ever do anything. And let's just remember that Jesus faced cynicism. Jesus was on the receiving end of a lot of cynicism. Some of his own family didn't even believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. Much of his hometown uh, despised him. The religious authorities were cynical of his claims. And yet he refused to be cynical. In fact, he remained positive, open towards those he encountered he might have been skeptical at points of the religious authorities, but in individuals he saw the potential for good. Just before this passage, he encounters a man called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, everyone had the right to be cynical about him. He'd been cheating people out of money for his whole career. And yet Jesus sees in him something special. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have a meal with you. The change in Zacchaeus' life is phenomenal, and we'll come back to that later on. Cynicism is not 
something that is an irresistible force. We can make a choice to resist it. And here's one way that we can do that. Celebration. Celebration can resist cynicism. Now, we're talking about celebrations. I don't know what you've been putting in the chat about who your five people you'd love to spend time with is. I don't know what you're looking forward to celebrating most. Is it having six people in your garden? Is it the end of lockdown? Is it going away? We love to celebrate, and it's the right thing to do. Celebration is uh, something that we do to mark special moments, special occasions, special things, and special people. I have to say that birthdays have never really figured very high on my um, list of things that I'm excited about. At my own birthday, I always found like a fairly boring, dull affair. I didn't want to get excited about my own birthday, and I always felt a bit embarrassed about anyone getting excited about me for me, so I, hated, I just didn't really like birthdays. When I got married to Jill, I met someone who basically lived for the next birthday. And it didn't matter whether it was hers or someone else's or someone she'd heard about. She loves birthdays. So what I found on my first birthday was I was overwhelmed with generosity from her. And then I thought, oh my goodness, that means I've got to do the same for her. And suddenly the pressure began to mount and I started thinking, I've got to celebrate. Anyway, uh, thankfully, I'm in uh, therapy for all of this, and I'm beginning to discover the joy of celebration. In fact, I'm quite excited about my own birthday now, and I'm excited about hers too. And actually, celebration is a really key thing. It's not, we're not talking about hedonism. Actually, the results of lockdown means that many people, I think, are probably thinking, I just want to celebrate for the sake of celebration. But actually, pleasure for pleasure's sake never ends well either. But pleasure for someone else's sake, celebrating someone else, is quite different. Celebration magnifies a person. Think about when you celebrate a birthday. You're giving thanks for that person. One of the things I love about Jesus is he loved to party. You think about his teaching about the kingdom of God. He tells three stories in a row about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. All three of those stories end with the most amazing party. The father and the prodigal son says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This is the picture of God that we have in Jesus. He's not cynical. He is full of celebration. It's good for you. Think of the parables of the kingdom, like the banquet. Think of the picture of heaven, which is going to be one non-stop rave for eternity. That's the kind of God that we're talking about here. And God and the kingdom are open, Jesus says, not to those who are cynical, but those who approach him like a child. He says, let the little children come to me. Truly, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, will never enter it. Jesus calls us to celebrate. So how do we respond to the celebratory aspects of God and Jesus? So here's two suggestions. Firstly, try to celebrate God's generosity. Verse 30 and 31 of this passage is really intriguing. I don't know what you made of this. It says this, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. ridden. Not written. Ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, I've always been intrigued by that bit. 
What, what happened here? Is Jesus advocating donkey theft? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying it's okay to steal donkeys? Or is what happened that they were untying it and the owners came along and they did the equivalent of a Jedi mind trick and said, the droids you're looking for are not here. Is he saying, no, 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 don't worry about this donkey, it's okay. Was it that sort of... I don't think so. I think what was going on here was that the people had heard about Jesus who owned this donkey. And when the disciples came and said, the Lord needs it, they knew who he was talking about. And they thought, yeah, you can have it. And that really challenges me. Because imagine if Jesus said to me about my donkey equivalent, my car, the Lord needs it. Will you give it away? Or my TV, the Lord needs it. Or my house, the Lord needs it. It really challenges me. It reminds me actually of a story that um, I heard told a few years ago. You may have heard this before, but there was a man apparently who was uh, at an airport and uh, he was about to catch his flight and he uh, decided that he was going to go himself, buy himself a coffee and a bag of donuts. And he could, it was all full. This was, like, this was pre-COVID, by the way. Uh, there was full of people there. And there were lots of people uh, and he couldn't find a seat and he looked and there was one place where there was a seat. And uh, he decided to sit next to this man who was over there having his own coffee. And so he went over, he sort of said, do you mind if I'm, if I'm here, if I'm on this table? And the guy said, no, that's fine. And so he takes off his jacket, puts it on the, on, the, on the chair. He takes his bag, puts it on the ground. And then he takes a swig of his coffee. And then he reaches into the bag of donuts and takes out a donut. And at that moment, the guy on the other side uh, of the table looks up, sees him sip, sip the coffee and grabs the bag of donuts takes out a, bag, a donut and then eats it and then puts the bag back. And the first man sees this and goes, did I, just, did I imagine that? Did he just take a donut from my bag? I can't believe it. I mean, he's, he's slightly angry, slightly upset, but he doesn't say anything because he's British. He just sort of keeps on and just think, well, you know, I hope that doesn't again happen again. Anyway, so he then takes his own donut again, another one, eats it. While he's having a little sip of coffee, the man on the other side again, reaches over, grabs a donut, eats it, and then smiles at the man. Well, the first man is absolutely outraged. He thinks, what is going on with this guy? He's a, he's a donut thief, and he's sitting right alongside me, but maybe he'll get violent. Maybe he's angry. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything, but this man was angry himself. He said, I can't believe he's done that. Just at that point, the other man, second man, looks at his watch and decides to get up and leave. And he picks up again the bag of donuts. There's one donut left. He splits it in half. He eats half of it. He puts the other half back in the, in the bag and leaves it and then walks away. Well, the first man is absolutely incandescent by this stage. The man has just touched his, you know, this final donut. He's put all his germs all over it and he is absolutely livid. And then he realizes it's time to go to his flight. So he puts on his jacket, he bends down to get his bag, and as he looks at his bag, he realises that there is his bag of donuts. He thought the other guy was a donut thief, that he'd stolen his donuts, and actually he was sharing his donuts. And the point is that God owns all the donuts. God shares all the donuts with us. He gives us everything. We think they're ours, but actually all of it belongs to him. 
And it's as if God gives us every month 10 donuts and says, look, here's 10 donuts. Why don't you give one away? Uh, that's tithing. Or two away. That's a bit more. That's like a New Testament pr- principle. But actually, God owns all of it. It's very easy for us to think that we own it all when actually it's God. And you know what? God is so generous. To think about the natural world. There are over 25,000 varieties of orchid. Did you know that? And the orchid is just one of 270,000 species of flowers. And God doesn't do things by halves. He is so generous. He gives us so much. Uh, You know, our galaxy is one of 100 billion galaxies. And in a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer says he also made the stars. God is full of generosity. And so encouraging us to be generous is only a reflection of God's generosity to us. And sometimes we worry about being generous because we think, well, I've only got a limited supply. What about me? And again, come back to Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I've had to test this at various points when I felt, I don't think I can give. And every single time, God has supplied what I've needed. So my encouragement to you is be generous like God is generous. Be generous with your smile. It's amazing how a smile can make a difference to someone else's day. Be generous with your words. It's amazing how an encouragement can bring life out of someone else. Be generous with your time. It's It's the only thing we can't get more of. Give it away. And be generous with your money. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. From that verse, um, I've I've said this before, but I've got a little um, uh, uh, mnemonic which goes like this. Give, G-I-V-E, give generously. Don't think, what's the least that I can give away, but what's the most? Uh, Give intentionally. Don't think, oh, well, you know, it'll just happen at some point. No, plan your giving. Give voluntarily, V. Don't give out of guilt. It's the worst motivator, but out of love, out of an overflow. And enthusiastically, E. Because that's the way that God gives. Give hilariously. That's what the word means here. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. So as you give, laugh all the way. Celebrate. So celebrate God's generosity is the first thing. And the second thing that we learn from this passage is to celebrate God's grace. Celebrate God's generosity, but celebrate God's grace. Verse 37 and 38 says this. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They had seen an amazing thing happen when Jesus came round. They'd seen miracles And they began to believe this might be the Messiah. This might be the one who kicks out the Romans. This might be the one who brings peace with our neighbours. But they didn't really get it. Because the peace that Jesus was going to bring was far more profound than they could ever imagine. 
the type of king that he was was far more majestic than they could ever picture. The miracle that was about to happen would surpass all the miracles they'd seen already because Jesus was going to the cross. That's what we remember this Holy Week as we approach Good Friday. That Jesus was the most generous thing you can do is not just give your money or your time but to give yourself and that's what Jesus did. He gave all of himself for you, for me, for all of us, for humanity. And therefore their cries of Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, take on a whole new significance when we realise the type of king that Jesus was. You know, it was historic that kings, when they came in war, would ride into a city on a horse. When they came in peace, they would ride on a donkey. Here is Jesus coming in peace to be the Messiah. And yet what he chooses to do is to lay down his life for his friends, for you and for me. And so the power of Jesus is not just in the cross, which was seen at the time as a defeat. What kind of a king gets killed on a cross with common criminals? But at the resurrection, turns out to be the greatest victory ever won. The the resurrection, when we look forward to it on Easter Sunday, was not the reversal of a defeat that happened on the cross, but the manifestation of a victory, where God raises Jesus to life, having conquered the greatest foes that we have, sin broken relationships with God and with one another, and death, our greatest fear. Both were conquered by Jesus on the cross. Both were the greatest miracles uh, when Jesus rose again. And that is something worth celebrating, celebrating the grace that that now wins us. We're able to have relationship with God. We're able to know him personally for ourselves. We're able to see his work in our lives. And that means we need to celebrate both personally and corporately. What does it mean to celebrate personally? Well, I came across someone the other day who said, oh, it's my, it's my Christian birthday. And I thought, what an extraordinary thing to celebrate your Christian birthday. What do you mean? And what they meant was the day when they knew they were forgiven. The day when they knew that Jesus loved them, had died for them. And I thought, well, actually... It's far more important to celebrate your spiritual birthday than your physical birthday. What an amazing moment. So maybe that's something you want to do. Think about the moment and just celebrate that as a yearly thing. I think it's great to celebrate the stories of God's redemption that we have, even in lockdown. Uh, The rework course, you may know that we're running at the moment, helping those who are struggling to get back into jobs. And this this is written by someone who came on the rework course. This is Sarah. She said, I came to rework because I was experiencing unemployment. I'd just moved into my flat and was only working one day a week. I really struggled with my CV. To be honest, I felt a huge amount of shame about it. So when we had to share our CV with one of the leaders, I was very hesitant. But I've never had so much positive feedback in all my life. After the course, I got an interview for a job that I really wanted and I had to go through my CV. If not for God lifting the shame and the reworking of my CV, I would not have been able to present the best of myself. But in the end, I did, and I got the job. Isn't that amazing? Off one course, that Sarah's got a new job. 
That's something that we should celebrate. Something she should celebrate. This is a story from Alpha online that we've been running. One person said this, I came on Alpha because I wanted to know if there was a God and it seemed like a good place to start. And then she says this, Jesus has changed my life and I now have hope. To have hope in a world which is so hopeless is the greatest gift that we can receive and that's the gift that Jesus promises. So we need to celebrate these stories. We need to give thanks. And we need to have the discipline of celebration wherever we can. You know, ultimately, the church should be the best place to celebrate. The church should be leading the charge in celebration of celebrating hope. I'm so looking forward to next weekend. Good Friday, followed by Easter Sunday. We're going to celebrate communion together, the chance to be together and rejoice in Jesus' resurrection. That's the sort of thing that I'm looking forward to because it's a picture of what we'll see in heaven. Tony Campolo, and this, I'll finish with this. You may have heard of him. He's an American sociologist and uh, he has written a book which is called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And he tells the story of when he was in Hawaii in the early hours of the morning in Honolulu and he was looking for somewhere to get a drink. And he came across a greasy cafe. And this is what he said. He said, this is one of the sleaziest places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid if I opened the thing, something gruesome would would crawl out. The door of the diner suddenly swung open. And to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place and they sat either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place. And I was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? Want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you that it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, Tony says, I made a decision. His decision, he goes on to say, was to give this woman called Agnes a birthday party. So this is what happens. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I'd picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made some big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. The women who did the cooking in the diner had got the word out and because by 3.15 in the morning, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready and when she came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And then when the birthday cake and all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just began to weep. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then, taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, 
is it all right if I keep the cake a while? Sure, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. She said, I've just lived down the street. I'll take it there now. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, she walked slowly towards the door and left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? When I finished praying, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. He said, I'd like to be part of a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all love to be part of a church that celebrates birthdays for people who can't have them? Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of a church that celebrates the grace of God, the goodness of God, the power of humanity, the intrinsic value of every single person? That's the church that Jesus began, and that's the church that I want to be part of. And if we try as much as possible to resist the cynicism in our culture and to grab hold of the generosity of God and the grace of God with two hands, then I believe it will begin to change the narrative that will be known as people who are for stuff and not against it. So don't be a critic, be an encourager. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor. Don't be a cynic, be a celebrator of all that God has done. Amen. Should we pray? I'd love to encourage you where you're sitting just to to pray. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. So let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you so much for your great generosity to us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us all that we have. Thank you that all the donuts belong to you. Everything we own is yours. Thank you for the generous gift of yourself, Jesus, on the cross for us. And Lord, we ask again that you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Just encourage you just to where you are. You might just want to close your eyes, put your hands out in front of you if you want to, but just be in a posture that says, Lord, I'm open to you. And Lord, we thank you that another place that you're generous in is giving the Holy Spirit. You said you give the Spirit without measure. You don't hold back. And so Lord, we want to receive all that you have for us this evening. Come, Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you just in your heart to hang on to the grace of God. Just maybe it's to receive again the grace of God. The grace of God that says, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how you've lived, it doesn't matter what you thought, you can be forgiven. So receive again afresh the breathless wonder of forgiveness.
and receive again the generosity of God as well. You might just want to begin to thank God for all the things that he has given. The friendships that you have. The relationships. All your material possessions. All the experiences you've had. And this isn't to deny the difficult stuff in life. You know, Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. He, he's the one who went to the cross for us. This isn't to, to deny the pain, but it's also to fix our eyes on the good, on what God has given, and to receive it again. And the great thing about the gospel is that we come empty-handed and we receive everything from him. That's, that's the parable of the prodigal son. But the party then goes on for us, but we get caught up in the party that God puts on. We get to be um, those who celebrate with others, to give to others, to bless others, just as we have received as well. So I'd also love to encourage you today to say, Lord, what would you love me to give? What can I give? Just like the the shepherds in the carol, what can I give? Poor as I am, what can I give? And maybe the Lord is just putting on your heart something that you can give at the moment. Maybe it's time or a smile or uh, maybe it's, it's encouragement, your words. Or maybe it's something financial as well. Why don't you just ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to give? And hold on to that promise that God will provide everything that you need. We're going to, um, to worship now. But I just encourage you just to remain open to the Spirit. Just ask Him, ask the Lord, what would you love me to give? And uh, as we worship in a moment, um, Josie and um, Josh are going to come up and sort of close our service and lead us in our sort of more practical response. But why don't we just enjoy the presence of God, worship Him um, as Matt and the band lead us now.